Hello, and welcome to the latest ClearBridge podcast. This is Jeff Schulze, CFA, Head of Economic and Market Strategy at ClearBridge Investments. ClearBridge is a global equity manager with $155 billion in assets under management, committed to delivering long-term results through authentic active management. We integrate ESG considerations into our fundamental research process across all strategies. There are many things to be thankful for each November. And in 2023, investors looking for income might add higher interest rates to the list. Or should they? Yields have risen stiffly, driven by the Federal Reserve's rate hike regime, and the effects are being felt across the market in different ways. Things have become more complex for all capital allocation decisions, from individual investors balancing income and capital appreciation needs to companies investing for growth and testing pricing power as costs have risen. Here with me today to talk about the outlook for dividend-paying sectors and an interest rate cycle like no other are John Baldi, Portfolio Manager for the ClearBridge Dividend Strategy, and Tatiana Eads, Senior Analyst for Renewables and Utilities. We'll take a close look at a few income-oriented sectors that are top of mind today in today's podcast, Dividend Dynamics in a High-Yield World. John, Tatiana, thank you so much for joining me here in the virtual podcast booth. I feel like we're back in COVID world, but I'm really excited that you're able to join me here today to, to talk about what's happening in the utility sector. So thank you. Thank you, Jeff. Our pleasure. Now, the most talked about thing of 2023 is Taylor Swift, but behind that is the rise in the 10-year Treasury. Coming into the year, the 10-year Treasury was at 3.75% when everybody knew a recession was a foregone conclusion. After the regional banking crisis in March and April, 10-year Treasury dropped to 3.3%, but after stronger-than-anticipated economic activity, the 10-year Treasury got above 5% in October. So we're back to the old normal, what we saw prior to the global financial crisis. So, John, I want to talk to you about this dynamic, kind of getting back to what we thought was normal 15 years ago. How are you thinking about dividend-paying stocks in a world of higher interest rates than what we've seen over the last decade and a half? Thank you for the question, Jeff. And I would start off with a general uh, observation with respect to the overall market. The macro is highly unpredictable. We entered 2023 with expectations for a recession that was going to start in the back half of this year. And as you mentioned, we are we just reported one of the strongest quarters on growth in the recent past. And with that as a backdrop, the, the highly unpredictable macro, we think it's important to maintain equity exposure. One of the better ways to maintain ex- equity exposure, in our opinion, is just a simple framework of investing in dividend-paying stocks. We own dividend-paying stocks across the spectrum. Some of them have lower upfront yields and higher growth potential on the back end with respect to their income. Others have higher yields upfront and more modest growth expectations on the back end. And I can give you two examples of stocks on, on the wide end of that spectrum. So Visa is a current payments name that we own. It's a phenomenal company that has compounded earnings tremendously over, uh, over its uh, life as a public company. It currently yields about 1% which is not very high in, in the grand scheme of interest rates today. But that income stream has compounded at something like uh, high teens over the course of the past five years. So as the earnings growth of the company has materialized, you as the shareholder have also enjoyed higher income from dividends. I'll contrast that with another company that we own in the energy space called Williams, where Williams is a company that yields north of 5% today. But that 5% is not going to grow at a visa-like rate, but it's still going to grow at a very respectable, call it 5% over the course of the next five years. And so 
maintaining equity exposure when, when we don't necessarily know what the macro is going to do is something that we feel is important. And there are many ways to achieve it. And um, what we do at Dividend Strategy is trying to find the right balance between getting that upfront yield and getting the growth of that, uh, the compounding of that yield over time. I believe it was Albert Einstein that said compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. You understands it, earns it. He who doesn't, pays it. So obviously a very powerful concept in the companies that you're looking at and are finding attractive right now. I want to move over to Tatiana for a second here and, and talk a little bit about utilities. So to say it nicely, utilities have underperformed fairly significantly here in 2023. What has been behind the underperformance and really what's your take on it? Thank you, Jeff. Yes, to put it mildly, 2023 was not our friend. Given, and there are several factors behind utilities underperformance year to date. So I want to touch on some of them. Given the bond-like characteristics of the utility sector, a rapid rise in interest rates essentially creates a competitive income option for the investors. So as you said, with treasury yields rising and now exceeding utility dividend yields by 70, 75 basis points, the shares in my sector look less attractive on a relative basis. Also, the sector has generally higher dependency on debt financing. So typically utilities debt to cap is around 60%. So high interest rates create some temporary pressure on the company's profitability. And one more factor I want to comment on is uh, utility tend to underperform in a rising inflation environment. So because rising inflation negatively impacts the underlying value of the utility asset base. So those were some factors that impacted my sector year to date. Now, I might add a fourth factor that GDP growth came in much higher than people had anticipated, myself included. In fact, if you look at the third quarter GDP growth that we just recently got, came in at 4.9% on a real basis. To put that number in perspective, Outside of the pandemic-influenced recovery years of 2020 and 2021, that was the fifth strongest quarter that you've seen so far this century. So obviously moves away from more of the defensive areas like utilities into some of the more cyclical areas of the marketplace. But you know, given what you've said, Tatiana, and kind of where we are at the moment, are utilities attractively valued now? Are they, are they cheap on a relative basis? Yes, a short answer to that is yes, and let me give you some color. So the regulated utilities have been one of the worst performing sector year to date. And also, we'll likely see some tax-related selling into the year end. But looking at the longer term history, this magnitude of underperformance by 32% or so is quite extreme. Over the past 40 years, this makes 2023 the second worst year. 32%. Wow, that is just jaw-dropping. What does that mean as far as valuation is concerned? So that means that the valuations are very attractive right now. And I will give you some color around that. So today, the, the sector is trading in line with the previous troughs that uh, we've seen in 2009 and also during the pandemic in 2020-2021. So the sector is trading at an 18% discount to the market on next year's earnings. So from that perspective, the sector already reflects a very weak macro environment. 
and also to put things into perspective, that 18% discount compares to a long-term 10% premium to the market. So this is an extremely low valuation for my sector. If you think about the utility valuation and what it reflects, and also the macro environment, from a macro standpoint, historically, the sector outperformed the broader market towards the end of the Fed tightening cycle. So if we think that we're approaching that period, then just looking back at history, the sector should start performing better going forward. And finally, I think it's important from a sentiment standpoint, as the other sectors and border economies start seeing fundamentals weakening, I think the utility company's defensive monopoly-like regulated business model should become more apparent and hopefully more valuable to investors. Well, I, I do think that uh, we are at the end of the Fed tightening cycles. It's certainly what the markets are pricing after the CPI print that confirmed the trend is still down that we got earlier this week. John, I want to move over to you for a second. How are you thinking about your utilities allocation and dividend strategy with the environment that we're in right now? I would say from a very high level, one of the starting points that we have with respect to a few underlying sectors of the market, and utilities being one of them, is that they are probably closest to pricing in the reality of higher interest rates for a longer period of time. And that's not necessarily to say that the Fed isn't going to cut in 2024. It's just more a reflection of even if the Fed does have to take action to cut, is that interest rates will still be relative, uh, uh, relatively high uh, compared to any time in, in the recent past. And with, with that as the backdrop, we are currently roughly double X the weight relative to the S&P 500 with our utilities holdings. It's important to note that from a very high level, though, dividend strategy does not target a weight for a specific subsector. The weight of the subsector is basically the output of all our individual company selections. And so within our utilities holdings right now, we currently own two stocks, uh, Sempra and Edison International. Sempra, mostly a regulated utility out of uh, California and Texas. Uh, Edison, pure play on California. And what we're really looking at is pretty as a pretty decent outlook for earnings growth over the next few years with growth driven by spending to electrify uh, and prepare for a greener, less carbon intensive future, and also to harden the system and protect from, particularly with respect to California, protect from future wildfires. There was legislation that was passed a few years back in California that um, capped the risk that utilities would face in light of Mother Nature taking its course and bringing harm to the system. But there's also one other uh, unique uh, perspective on California that makes it attractive for us. Uh, there's a mechanism with respect to uh, interest rates where the utilities can go back after a period of interest rates have risen and request higher returns on equity. And that uh, review period is coming up at the tail end of 2023. Uh, we expect it to go through and we expect our earnings to increase also uh, because interest rates have moving up. So it's a nice buffer to their earnings model in a different interest rate world than what we've had in the recent past. Now, John, I want to stick with you here for a second and look at other income-oriented sectors that you, you have some exposure to. Now, some of your biggest overweights are in higher-yielding materials and energy sectors. I think I could talk about energy and, and my uh, optimism there for about 15 minutes, given the supply situation that we're going to be seeing in the years to come. But what kind of companies are you finding attractive in those areas? And then kind of staying with these other income-oriented sectors, what about real estate, right? Real estate obviously uh, is slowed with the higher interest rate environment. Does that cause concern for you? 
Yeah, so I'll, I'll break your question down into two parts. The first part being with related to energy. Dividend strategy is currently overweight energy. But it's important to note that the majority of our energy position is based on infrastructure companies, so companies that have pipes that move oil and gas throughout the country, some down from Canada through our ownership of Enbridge, other along the East Coast, mostly being natural gas with Williams. And the important differentiation about those business models is while sometimes the stocks do trade sensitive to the underlying commodity, whether it be oil or gas, their revenue streams are mostly durable and mostly protected through long-dated take-or-pay contracts that they have with their, with their counterparties. So it's technically classified as an energy company. We think about it more along the lines of an infrastructure company with a very durable revenue stream. And those stocks are poised right now to deliver mid-single-digit dividend growth over the foreseeable future, and they're currently yielding a little, uh, collectively, both of them north of 5%. So it's a it's a good, relative to uh, my commentary earlier in the podcast, it's a good upfront yield, and it's also a pretty good growth outlook. You mentioned real estate at the tail end of your question, and real estate is one of those areas of the market that I feel like utilities most likely reflects uh, the concept of higher for longer with respect to interest rates. Those stocks have underperformed dramatically relative to the market in 2023. And I think it's because the investor base within real estate is most sensitive to interest rates because interest rates dictate the price of, of land. And in the recent past, we've tried to take advantage of some dislocation in the space. We bought a position in a company called Avalon Bay. It's a bi-coastal apartment company. We started that position at the tail end of last year. And over the course of this year, we bought a position in a company called Public Storage, ticker PSA. The common themes amongst our real estate exposure, they have phenomenal balance sheets. Both of them are run exceptionally well with respect to their debt structures, with respect to terming out their debt structure in the, in the low interest rate environment of the past. And uh, Public Storage effectively has, for the most part, funded itself with preferred equity over a very long period of time. The other common theme amongst them is they both trade at discounts to net asset value. So if we mark to market their real estate portfolio based on where private transactions have taken place, we feel that they're both collectively in the range of about a 20% discount to NAV. And they're also poised to grow mid-single digits. So the, again, the combination of upfront yield, the combination of growth, the steadiness that's, that is provided to them in light of uh, where their balance sheets are and how they're funded make real estate right now attractive for us. Well, that sounds like a really strong combination in case we have the, the dreaded R word, recession. Base case of the macro team is still uh, a recession. You know, obviously, real GDP growth came at 4.9% in the Q3. But if you look ahead of the last eight recessions, real GDP growth has actually averaged 4.6%. So doesn't completely take a recession off the table. So if a recession does materialize, Tatiana, will utilities be able to offer their historically defensive characteristics? Or is this a different regime? No, I believe that utilities will continue to be defensive. And I think that there are several reasons for it. So growth outlook today for the sector is quite good. So typically utilities offer a 5 to 6% earnings growth rate over the next several years, plus a 4% dividend yield that will continue to grow in line with earnings plus minus, and a very low beta. So net-net, a very attractive overall return. Also, if you look at the last quarterly results, for instance, just many companies have finished reporting their 3Q, a number of companies that raised their 2023 earnings growth forecast for this year was double, actually more than double the number of companies that had to take down their near-term guidance. 
Wow. So two positive for every negative. That's uh, usually indicative of strong relative future returns. So definitely uh, something I didn't realize from Q3 earnings. Yes. Another remarkable feature of that was that so far this year, weather has not been a utility friend. We've had a very mild winter and also a very cool summer. So weather actually did not help. And despite that, the results were spectacular. But more fundamentally, if we look at power demand growth, that continues to hold up quite well. So on my numbers, on a weather-adjusted basis, power demand is up 0.6% year-to-date. And comparative to history, where we've seen flat power demand, it's a good number. So fundamentally, there are several positives going on for, this, for the sector. Power demand continues to be strong and continues to hold up quite well. On my numbers, on a weather-adjusted basis, power demand is up 0.6%, so that's good. The sector is also an indirect beneficiary from AI and data center growth, as those facilities tend to be very power-intensive. Also outside of those drivers, there's growing electric vehicle penetration, which helps demand and also requires more electric infrastructure. The companies also continue to see manufacturing, onshoring or reshoring in their jurisdictions. And another aspect of spending for the utilities is related to climate change. So with climate change, we've seen weather events more frequently, and also, they're also more severe in terms of the impact on the electric grid. So my companies have to spend more focusing on grid resiliency and stability. So one final point I want to add in terms of spending drivers, the recently adopted uh, Inflation Reduction Act, IRA, has created more incentives for renewables and that helps the ongoing transition from coal power plants or inefficient gas and oil power plants towards greener sources of energy, such as solar, wind, and batteries. So that's all very supportive of long-term CapEx trends. Also, I think that when we talk about rising rates, sensitivity to rising rates across my sector is manageable. The balance sheets today are in good shape, and the companies themselves have more defensive business models compared to history. So also importantly, since these are regulated utilities, the state regulators that my companies have to deal with are broadly more receptive to the company's big investment programs to reduce carbon emissions, and to make the local grids more weather resilient and efficient. And one final point that's also important for customer bills is that gas prices, natural gas prices, and hence power prices are not very high, which means that the upside pressure on customer bills will not be a big headwind for the sector. One last point I want to make is that it's important to remember that higher interest rates will eventually get translated into higher allowed returns for my companies under their sort of a typical regulated utility framework. So there might be some lag, but there will be a catch up in the future to higher interest rates. 
And just given the macro uncertainties when we talk about positioning within the sector, I think that just with risk of inflation and a slowdown, I think it makes sense to be more defensively positioned within the sector. I want to highlight a couple of examples. I agree completely with John that someone like Sempra, a very well-run regulated utility in California and Texas that recently, by the way, raised their CapEx plans by 10 to 20% and also recently issued equity. So there is no equity on the horizon. There is higher growth on the utility side. And there is also an LNG kicker to their earnings. Something like that is very defensive, should perform well. A couple of other names I wanted to highlight. DTE Energy is a regulated utility in Michigan. And then another name I'll mention is PPL. No equity needs. They recently got a positive rate case outcome in Kentucky. So a great story to own here. So now stop there. No, great context, Tatiana. And I'm going to say on the same question, John, the, the last question here, because we're coming up on time here. How are you positioned in 2024 if a recession is still a base case? I'd say as a baseline, we've always found it difficult to try and position dividend strategy around a macroeconomic outlook, whether that be for sustained growth or for a recession. 2023 being the best example of high expectations for a recession coming into the year. And you were earlier in the podcast pointing out growth being one of the strongest points on record. With that being said, one of the hallmarks of dividend strategy has sort of been participating up markets and protecting down markets. And I think based on how much uncertainty there is with respect to the macroeconomic outlook at this point in time, given the cumulative impact of interest rates, the quantitative tightening from the Federal Reserve, liquidity being drawn down in the marketplace today, we feel that uh, it's very difficult to put all those ingredients into a basket and figure out what's going to happen from a, from a macro perspective. And so our underlying portfolio holdings are built on a company-by-company company perspective. They're built, I don't want to say they're recession-proof because I think the macroeconomic uh, impact is felt all over the place when uh, the world when the world becomes a more challenging place. But we look for companies with durable revenue streams, moats around their business to protect from competitive pressures. We look for companies with pricing powers, great balance sheets, long duration of debt, so you don't have to worry about refinancing in a different and a higher interest rate world. The end result of what we try and put together is a product again that participates in up markets. It protects in down markets such that if you look at our returns over the course of a market cycle, you'll see we, um, we do very well on a risk-adjusted basis. Well, that's really good context. And again, dividend growers tend to do well in periods of, of high volatility should that recession materialize. And if you look at the UTY, which is the utility index, over the last 20 years, the beta of utilities relative to the S&P 500 has been just 0.4. So if a recession is in the cards, you do start to see some volatility. These are areas of opportunity. But I, I think more importantly, when you get to the end of a hiking cycle, going back to the early 1970s, you've seen 10 hiking cycles, both hard and soft landings. If you're the dollar, your credit, or your equities, your fate is highly contingent on whether or not you do have a, an extension of that cycle or a recession. However, with the 10-year treasury, it tends to peak in line with that last rate hike. And the longest that the 10-year treasury peaked after the last rate hike was in 1981, which was five months after. So the economic outcome doesn't really change. And if July was that last rate hike, and I think that's the case, given where 
inflation is going and how the trajectory of the economy is moving, we've likely seen the peak of the 10-year Treasury. And if we haven't, likely going to be here sometime over the next couple of months, which will be a nice tailwind for not only the utilities, but also dividend stocks in general. But that's all the time that we have here today. John, Tatiana, I want to say thank you so much for jumping on the podcast with me today. I really like to highlight areas of opportunity when we get to certain points in the cycle. So thank you for sharing your valuable knowledge with me and the listeners. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in to this ClearBridge podcast. We're going to have another ClearBridge podcast in December talking about the outlook for 2024. We hope that you can join us for that podcast and the podcast as we turn the page to the new year. I hope everybody has a safe and healthy Thanksgiving. As always, we welcome any questions, comments, and suggestions, which you can email us at podcast at clearbridge.com. Take care. Please note the following. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. The opinions and views expressed in today's podcast are of the individual speakers as of November 15th, 2023, and may differ from other managers or the firm as a whole and are not intended to be a forecast of future events, a guarantee of future results, or investment advice. Any statistics referenced have been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but the accuracy and completeness of this information cannot be guaranteed. Neither ClearBridge Investments nor its information providers are responsible for any damages or losses arising from any use of this information.